Thank you for being here at Renewal Church. My name is Jared Kirk, and before we get started in the sermon, we have some business to take care of. Uh, my wife, Heather, graduated from school yesterday. And so, yeah. And apparently the rapture happened, and she was the only one taken. She's gone. I think she took my daughter to, there she is. Was the baby crying? She's the prettiest lady at the whole graduation. Hey, so um, thank you for joining us here today. We're continuing our series, Unshakable Faith, and we're, we're, we're thinking about this is how do you handle those major impacts in your life that cause you to doubt, that cause you to lose faith a little bit in God? We, most of us have the skills to get through every day, but when that world-shaking thing happens in your life, how do you deal with that? Jesus said um, that there's essentially two kinds of people in this world. There's people that when the storm comes into their life, their, their whole world gets washed away. And there's other people that the storm comes and it shakes their world, but once it passes, you look and their life is still standing because it's built on a rock. And we want to be those kind of people, the kind of people with resilience in our lives, the kind of people who are going to get through the difficult things that we're facing. And today we're talking about illness. And at first I thought, you know, I don't know, we have a very young church, so I'm not sure how much this is going to hit people in our church. Is everybody going to deal with this? And then I started thinking one by one about the members in our church, about the people who come, who are regular attenders every week. I thought about my own life and just how much illness and sickness, serious illness, serious sickness has affected people in our church. Like in my own life, at first I thought, man, this doesn't really affect me. And then I realized, I mean, it, it sounds kind of silly that I, I had to realize this, but in my, in my um, extended family orbit and my immediate family, uh, it, just in the last couple years, we've dealt with um, one person had, has had cancer that has spread throughout their body. They've been in treatment for that for 11 years. Um, I had another person in my family that um, uh, can no longer have children because of a serious illness. I have a, a cousin who has recurring daily migraines. She, she has had a migraine every day of her life for the last several years. Um, and so these major illnesses, I realize, have affected, have affected my life. And, and I've had my own kind of minor health challenges in comparison to that that I tend to maybe minimize sometimes if you ask my wife. But, um, and my guess is that it has affected you as well. And as I thought about, you know, our church and the people in our church, I know that we've had people who have had to drop out of school because of mental illness in the last several years in our church. Um, we have people who have literally moved from our church across the country to help take care of family members who are sick and who are aging. Um, we have people who the, the, the forward life plans that they're imagining are including taking care of very sick or terminally ill family members. When you, when you start thinking about it, you realize how many of us have been affected by serious illness in our lives. And so I think this is a timely message from God's word about how we deal with illness in such a way that we have faith as we're going through it and that it doesn't destroy our faith. Because, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit last week, but when you have um, sickness or illness in your life, whenever you have suffering in your life, the, the chain of logic in your head can often be, God, uh, why is this happening to me? God, why are you letting this happening, happen to me? God, if you cared, you wouldn't let this happen to me. This is happening to me, therefore, you must not exist or you must not be good. And although it's not, um, although it's not great logic, 
you know, pain in your life and suffering in your life has a way of just emotionally, viscerally making you say, God, where are you at? And so these major illnesses and serious sicknesses in your life, in our lives, can shake our faith in God. And so I want us to, to help get through this illness and these sicknesses with faith, whether that's you or someone you love. And statistically, this is affecting a huge proportion of our church and of our country. So I put a couple of numbers in your teaching notes. So go ahead and take your teaching notes out today. I don't always do this, but there's an incredibly good, thorough study uh, that was a partnership between the New York Times and the Harvard Chan School of Public Health on serious illness in America. And there were these two related studies, one on how it affects people who are ill and one how it affects their caregivers. And so here's kind of the two big, in, the big takeaways from that. 40 million adults experienced serious illness in the last three years in the United States of America. 40 million people. But look at the second number on there. This was so, so eye-opening to me that 41 million provided unpaid care to a sick friend or family member. So just as many people were affected by someone that they love who was sick. And um, the consequences of this in your life can be extremely serious. If you're the one who's sick and ill, well, this is actually from the study. Here's some of the results of the illness. When we are seriously sick, we deal with feelings of anxious, anxiety, confusion, and helplessness. There's an isolation that often comes with serious illness because you can't get out and you can't get around. Depression, um, inability to work. You wanna work, but you can't work. And then the last thing, which is related to that, is dire financial consequences. Because you can't work and you have medical bills. And, and so we have people in our church who have been crushed under the weight of medical bills. Um, or even uh, we have some people in our church who have been crushed under the weight of medical insurance because they have some recurring serious illness in their lives. And so it's, you know, it's upward of $1,000 a month just to get health coverage, right? And so it's like you can have these dire financial consequences. But the, the results in the lives of caregivers are serious too. So if you love someone who's seriously sick, some of the consequences that the study talked about, face, uh, caregivers face emotional strain. And they specifically mentioned depression is an aspect of that. There are physical health issues for caregivers. Number one, they don't take as good care of themselves physically. Oftentimes, we're not caring for ourselves because we're caring for someone else. Um, or it actually listed in the study having to, uh, physical uh, hurt from having to lift people or carry people. On top of that, there's employment disruption for caretakers and there's financial problems for the caretakers as well. And so all of this kind of piles on in your life and it can be a world-shaking, faith-shaking experience for you. Now, as Christians, we believe that Jesus came into this world, and that was incredibly good news. And if you're here, and, you, and a friend invited you today, and you're, you're just investigating Christianity, or you're sort of skeptical or doubtful about it, uh, you know, that may be sort of like, I, I don't totally get that. But when Jesus showed up in Galilee 2,000 years ago, it was good news for sick people. It was very good news for sick people. In fact, that is one of the, the main things Jesus did when he was here on this earth, is he, he found sick people and he healed them. Um, when Jesus came to earth, like when he started his ministry, he did two things. Number one, he proclaimed that the kingdom of God was near. 
And the kingdom of God just means this, is what would our world look like if God ran it instead of politicians? Does that sound pretty good to you? I mean, does that sound just awesome to you? Does that sound better now than it did like 4, 8, 12, 16? You know what I'm saying? Like God's perfect justice, his perfect peace, his perfect administration, and and the Bible says he's going to kick sickness out of this world. He's going to kick death out of this world. That's what the kingdom of God is. So Jesus proclaimed that's that's near. And the second thing he proclaimed is that um, the sick would be healed. Look, Look at this in... Let's get the verse right. Matthew 4, 23 through 24. This is on the front of your teaching notes. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. There's the first part. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to to him all who were sick. Isn't that incredible? Those are the two, like the two announcements of the kingdom. When he started, it is the kingdom of God is at hand, and I'm about to kick sickness out of this world. I mean, that's just beautiful to me. That's not something we often think about. But Jesus had serious compassion for seriously sick people, and I believe he still does. So today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at how to respond to a faith-shaking illness with Jesus in your life. And the way that we're going to do that is by looking at James chapter 5, because this is the one place in the Bible that addresses it most thoroughly. Now, there's excerpts from James 5 in the teaching notes as we go through here today, but this is a great day to pull out your Bible that you brought with you if you brought one, and just look up James chapter 5. If you don't know where the book of James is, go to the book of Table of Contents and look up James, and there's page numbers in here. Uh, it's, I'll give you a hint. It's towards the end. And so we're going to look at how to respond to a faith-shaking illness from the book of James. Here's the first thing. Keep patiently waiting for Jesus' return. Would you write that down? Keep patiently waiting for Jesus' return. I think this is an incredibly surprising idea. I think, I think, you know, I would just say this as a pastor, it's good to be surprised sometimes when you look in the Bible and it doesn't say exactly what you're expecting because it means God's saying something that's pressing on your view of the world and it's a little bit different. So I read this and I thought, well, that's not, you know, the point I would have picked for that. Um, but I get it straight from the text. Here's what it says in James 5, 7 through 8. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Now, this happens in the context of James 5, talking about dealing with serious illness and hardships in your life. So here's what I want you to do. Circle the words patient, and then underline the words, the Lord's return. You have got to be patiently waiting for the Lord's return. Now, doesn't this sound strange to our modern ears? If you go to your doctor and your doctor says, I have some bad news and I have some good news. You say, well, bad news first, doctor. He says, okay, bad news. You have cancer. You say, what's the good news? Is it treatable? He says, no, this isn't treatable, but Jesus is coming soon. You need to find a new doctor. You, you know, but according to the Bible, this is just tied into suffering and hardship and sickness in our life. Because the early Christians understood that when Jesus returns, he kicks sickness out of our world. Right? When you're sick, when you're suffering, it causes you to focus on yourself 
and rightfully so. It causes a self-centered attitude. Pain makes you focus inward. Pain makes you focus on now. When you're in pain, you don't look at the future. You're thinking about this moment right now. And, and the, the writer here, James, is inviting you to, even though you, you might be suffering or you might be sick, to lift up your gaze and look forward with hope to the day when there's no more sickness in this world. So you've got, to in, you've got to go through this sickness, you have to go through this illness with hope in your life that a better day is coming. That's why we're supposed to patiently wait for the return of Jesus. The struggle is that even if you believe that God will heal you one day, you always want that day to be today. And, and on top of that, we almost never understand why God won't just do it today, do we? I mean, you, you pray about this, you argue with God about this, you say, God, today, to, in my mind today, is much better than tomorrow. I don't understand how your plan is unfolding. I don't know why you wouldn't do it today. You know, in faith, I could believe that you have a plan, but I just don't understand why it's not today. But when you look at the words of James, it reminds us that waiting for God's healing is a lot like a farmer waiting for the crops. You guys live in Boston. Do you even know what that is? You know what a farmer is? It's like waiting for the tea to show up. There's no telling, you know? And, you know, there's signs. It's like five minutes, seven minutes. That's just a guide. That's like, you know, that's not gospel, right? It's just going to be waiting. And there's going to be days where you're suffering and you're in the middle of your hardship. You're in the middle of your sickness. You're in the middle of someone that you love their sickness. And you're like, God, shouldn't today be the day? And according to God, God's word, you know, it's like, hey, listen, most of the days are going to be a lot like a farmer just saying, God, when is that day of harvest coming? So you've got to patiently wait for that day of healing to arrive. And if you lose your patience you'll be angry with God. And you'll, you'll be angry with God for just following his plan, for letting his perfect plan unfold. So I want you to write this word in your notes under this point. Write the word perspective in your notes. Because when you're waiting on Jesus' return and you're thinking forward, it's giving you perspective on your illness today. It's reminding you there is a day coming when you are no longer sick. It's reminding you there is a day coming when your family member or your friend is no longer ill. Waiting on Jesus' return gives you perspective on your illness. And I want to show you one other verse from the Bible that talks about this perspective shift as we wait on the Lord's return. It's 2 Corinthians 4, 4, 16 through 18. And, and, And listen for how this is tied in with illness and sickness. It says, though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen, for the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. When I first learned this verse, when I first memorized this verse, when it talked about troubles, it says your light and momentary afflictions. The only way your afflictions can be light and momentary when when you have that serious of an illness is when you see them in light of eternity. Eternity, the perspective of eternity is the only thing that can turn a mountain into a molehill. And so you have to wait patiently for the Lord's return. 
with that eternal perspective that one day sickness will be no more. How do you do this? Well, it says fix your gaze on things that cannot be seen. So you need to think about eternal things. You need to consider heaven. You need to think about the Lord's return. You fix your gaze. You, you focus your attention on those things. You could bury yourself in the scriptures, in the Bible. You can memorize verses about God's power to heal and help. And you can just simply, sometimes the best you can do is you refuse to give up hope for an eternity with Christ and you wait patiently on Jesus' return. So that's the first way that we face illness with faith. Here's the second way. Write this down. Keep enduring suffering with faith in God's plan. And I'm gonna show you where I get that in James 5 in just a second. But James 5 talks about illness and sickness in terms of enduring suffering. And when he talks about enduring, James doesn't just mean get through it. Actually, in, all, in, in, in the Bible, when it says endure, it doesn't mean just get through it. Enduring in the Bible means something like um, holding on to God through your pain. That's enduring in the Bible. Look at James 5:11. It says, we give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. Now, maybe you know about Job. Maybe you don't. This was written to a Jewish audience largely, and so they all knew who Job was. Job was a man who suffered probably for years and years and years in his life. He, he endured the worst suffering a person can endure. He lost his, all of his wealth um, in the stock market crash of his day, which was Midianite raiders, which came through and stole all of his livestock. He uh, endured the loss of his children in a natural disaster. He endured the loss of his health. He was so sick that it disfigured him and people had trouble recognizing him. And then he lost the support of his wife who told him to curse God and die. But when he went through all of that suffering, he never once cursed God. He never once said, God, I know better than you. He held on to God through his pain. That's how Job endured suffering. And that's the, the exhortation that we have from the scriptures is that when you're suffering, you hold on to God through the you hold on to God through the hurt. There's a, a verse in 2 Timothy that captures this same exact idea. It says, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Here's that you see that same phrase showing up again? Endure suffering. It doesn't mean just like last through it, it means hold on to God through your hurt. And it's something like being a soldier. You, um, I, I don't know if you guys saw Saving Private Ryan. I mean, if you're a dude, you saw Saving Private Ryan or else I'm going to punch your man card, right? But I'm also dating myself because some of you are like, what's that, right? Um, but when, you, you, know, when a, you think about a soldier who gets an assignment because there's this bigger plan that's unfolding, and, and if you're an individual soldier, you may not know what the plan is. And so your commanding officer sends you to do something, and it may include suffering, it may include even death, but you've got this assignment, this duty to be a part of a bigger plan, and you have to endure that in order to be a good soldier. You have to uphold your duty and have to stand your post, no matter what it costs you. And what the Bible's saying here is that essentially being a Christian is something like that. That you get your marching orders from God and you don't get to pick them. And God's plan may put you in the path of suffering. And this is why I will never be a televangelist, why they'll never give me a TV show, because I'm, I'm willing to tell you that, that God's plan for your life may include suffering. Right, like, because... Right, 
Jesus' plan, God's plan for Jesus' life included suffering. And so that may be a part of what God assigns to you in your life in order for you to go through and to endure it well. It's just like a soldier is to stand your post and say, I may not understand the orders, but I'm willing to do my duty. I'm willing to hold on to God through the hurt. I'm not going to abandon my post or my duty or my faith in God because I know that God's going to get me through it. And I know on the other side, there's going to be a reward for obeying God. That that's what it looks like to endure suffering. Now, I mentioned Jesus just a second ago, and a couple weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus was both the plan of salvation, but he's also the pattern of the Christian life. Jesus is the plan of salvation in that he lived a perfect life, he suffered, he died as a, as a perfect sacrifice, and then he rose from the dead so that if you turn from your sin to follow him, God gives you forgiveness for your past, the power to change today, and eternal hope for life, with life, for life with Christ in eternity. That's the plan of salvation, and it's available to anyone today. It's not for good people or bad people. It's for people who know they need Jesus and who know they need forgiveness for their sin and who know they need power to change and who know that there's no hope for eternity because you can't cause that to happen on your own. What hope do you have to align your eternity with God in heaven? That's something God does. But Jesus is also the pattern of the Christian life, that just as Jesus lived compassionate lives, we live compassionate lives. That just as Jesus was found with the sick, ministering to the sick, that we also as Christians minister to and are with the sick. Just as Jesus suffered, although he had done nothing wrong, so as Christians, we will often suffer, though we have done nothing wrong. First uh, uh, Peter says, For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. That's part of the Christian life. And if you are following Jesus, you should expect not only the plan of salvation in your life, but also the pattern of his life to be true in your life as well. You've got to endure suffering. Now, why would God do this? Well, I don't know why God has you suffering. And as a pastor, or just as a person, I'm always very careful to say, this is why you're sick, this is why you're, I just, I'm never gonna say that. Because God has reasons I don't know about. But I will tell you this, that in the middle of your hardship, one of the things God will do is he will enlarge your soul through suffering if you let him. He will strip life down to its essentials. He will teach you to be kind in the middle of your pain. He will teach you to be selfless even when things, you want things to be focused on you. God will enlarge your soul through suffering if you endure suffering well. This enduring, this patient endurance in God is so important that it's one of the keys to unlocking the rewards of heaven. Look at Hebrews 10 with me. It says, so do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Uh, Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. The promises of heaven are for everyone who holds on. And that is awesome to me because there are days when I don't feel like I'm living the victorious Christian life and when I'm just out there like changing the world. Like there's some days when all I can do is hold on and have enough faith to hold on to Jesus in the middle of my hurt. And if you can hold on to Jesus in the middle of your sickness and your hurt with faith, then that unlocks the rewards of heaven for you. He wants those who will endure with faith. So how do you endure? You endure when you refuse to numb your pain in sinful ways. 
You endure when you hold fast to your belief in God's goodness, despite your pain. You endure like a good soldier when you refuse complaining and self-pitying. And when you endure, you give a powerful testimony. You, you, you show the people around you God's goodness when you endure well. So you have to endure suffering with faith in God's plan. Number three, as we deal with, unsha- as we deal with illness with unshakable faith, keep praying with faith. James 5, and, and now we're actually getting into the, the meat of where James 5, where you see how, how strongly it's talking about sickness. It talks about three kinds of prayer when you're sick. It talks about prayer with the elders. It talks about prayer with other Christian believers. But it starts off by talking about prayer for yourself. Keep praying with faith is the blank. And here's the, the verse that I get that from. James 5.13 says, Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Hardships are just anything that's hard. <laughs> that's it. So it includes illness. It includes persecution. It's just anything that's hard. And the encouragement is to run to God in prayer and to ask him for what you want. Right? Now, Christians, we are so often guilty of these, like, um, weak, milquetoast, mealy-mouthed prayers. Those are actually real words that your grandma probably used, right? But you got to tell God what you actually want. And if you're not pouring out your heart to God and telling him what you actually want him to do, then you're probably wasting your breath, right? God, please be with the doctors is a fine prayer if what you want is fine prayers. You need to pray prayers that, that take hold of heaven. Like um, there's a story of Jacob wrestling an angel, and, and uh, I'm not going to go into the whole story, but he's just like holding on for dear life. He's seriously injured, and the angel says, let go of me. And, and Jacob says, I won't let you go unless you bless me. Those are the kind of prayers that you got to pray when you're facing serious sickness and illness in your life, where you hold on to heaven and you say, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. If you want healing from God, ask for healing from God. Maybe he'll heal you. Maybe he won't. But there's only one way to find out, and that's to run to him and to ask him. you got to pray these bold prayers. And I think sometimes people don't because they say, well, what if God doesn't answer my prayer? And they're worried about what that will do to their faith. But listen, did your parents give you everything you asked for when you were a kid? No, if they did, then it ruined you as a human being. You know who you are. You're high maintenance now. Neither does God give his children everything he asks for. But he could. And sometimes he does. And so you run to him and ask him. You pray with faith. I wrote this down, that prayer needs to be your first reaction, not your last resort. Prayer should be a reflex. Um, you guys might know that I like, to, I like to sail. I'm terrible at it, but I do it. And I took Jude out with me for the first time this season last weekend. And so I thought a lot about what would happen if someone fell overboard. <laughs> I was seriously concerned about uh, my seven-year-old being on a sailboat with me. But he made it. But when you fall into water that's that cold... Because we're in New England, so just as a pro tip, if you're new to New England, it doesn't matter how hot it is outside, that water's freezing, okay? And there's 
probably great white sharks in it. So just stay on the sand is really the, the rule. Okay, but when you fall into water that, that, is, that is that cold, there is a cold shock reflex that happens in your body where your body will let out all the air in the lungs and then draw in as much air as possible just automatically. And when people fall into cold water, a lot of times they don't drown from hypothermia or exhaustion. They drown, uh, they drown within two or three minutes because they have uh, sucked all that water in involuntarily. And so one of the things the Coast Guard does when they train people is when you're falling overboard, you're supposed to be wearing a, a PFD, a personal flotation device at all times. And so when you fall in, they just automatically pull the handle that manually inflates the life jacket because it keeps your head above water. And so they train and they train and they train and they train. If you feel yourself falling, just pull the manual cord. Don't wait to see what happens because you might inhale all that water. So they train until it becomes a reflex. If I feel myself falling, I pull the cord. That's what has to happen with prayer in your life. That through the regular rhythm of everyday prayer, the moment I feel myself, the moment I feel myself falling, I call out to God. Right? When, when, when something minor goes wrong at work, I call out to God. When I start having relationship friction, I call out to God. Right? When I'm just kind of confused about the direction of my life, I call out to God. And I call out to God over and over and over and over again the moment I feel myself falling. And so when major illness or sickness comes into your life, you have developed the reflex of prayer. And you have the tools that you need to survive in the middle of a faith-shaking illness. You've got to train yourself. Now, on top of this prayer being a reflex, James is also going to encourage every single one of us to pray. That prayer is not for pastors. Prayer is not for elders. Prayer is not for spiritual people. Prayer is not for faith healers. According to the Bible, there's no such thing as a faith healer. There is no one in the Bible who is able to heal everyone on command whenever they wanted to. That's not a thing people could do in the Bible. If anyone had the miraculous gift of healing in the Bible, other than Jesus, it was the Apostle Paul. But the Apostle Paul had co-workers in Jesus, men of incredible faith who were named in the Bible that were sick and almost died. There was no, like, just automatic word he could speak over them to heal them. He, miraculous healing always happens at God's, according to God's sovereign will. He wants us to call out, and maybe he'll heal but there's no one who can automatically heal all the time. The book of James, in fact, encourages all of us regular, everyday, ordinary Christians to pray. Look at what it says in James 5, 17 through 18. Elijah was a human as we are. Now, pause here. If you don't know who Elijah was, he's one of those people in the Bible who worked miracles. There's only a few people in the Bible, actually, that do that. It's mostly Moses and Elijah and Elisha and then Jesus. And so he says, Elijah was a human as we are, yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none for, fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Now, why does James include this? Well, he seems to be saying that as powerful of a person as Elijah was, he was just a person. And it was the powerful prayer of an of a earnest and sincere person of faith that moved heaven. And so Ordinary Christians who have faith in God, who are just people, should pray, and that's the prayer is the lever that moves heaven. And so if you're an ordinary person, you should pray for God to heal. So train yourself in prayer. Pray in faith. And 
If there's something you're scared to pray for, that's probably the thing you need to pray into the most. Perhaps there's someone in your life that is sick that you've given up on praying for. I have somebody in my life who's been battling cancer for 11 years. And it's, it, 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 it's, it's embarrassing to say, but sometimes it's so common, it's been going on so long that I forget to pray. Or maybe there's someone that you just, you, you just don't believe God could heal anymore and you've given up. Keep praying, keep crying out. Who knows, maybe God will overcome great odds to show the world how incredibly powerful he is. Here's the last thing for dealing with illness with faith. Keep reaching out for help. There are times in your sickness that you need to reach out to your spiritual family for help. Here's what it says. Are any of you sick? You should call the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And so what's happening in this passage is that James is envisioning a very sick person. Perhaps someone who's so sick that they're on their bed and they can't get up, and so they call the elders to come to their home to pray for them because it says that they're, they're praying over the person. It kind of imagines them standing around the bed. And it says that such a prayer offered in faith will heal them. And so if the person requesting the prayer has faith and the person praying has the gift of faith, the person will be healed. Such a prayer offered in faith could literally be translated the prayer of faith. It's this kind of unique, interesting prayer that, um, it, you know, it occurs here in the Bible and you're sort of like, what is it? I'm not entirely sure what it is. It seems to be an expression of the, a special gift of faith that God gives to someone. So James here calls for faith and to include the elders of your church. And so the first question for you is, do you have elders that you could call to pray over you? That's an interesting question, isn't it? And the answer is yes, if you are a member of a local church, then you have elders who can come and pray over you. If you are not a member, but you're, say, a regular attender who hasn't committed to the church, then you don't exactly have a spiritual family. You have spiritual acquaintances. Like, and that's not a bad thing that you come to church regularly and you participate in that sort of thing. But the way that the Bible envisions this is that the elders are responsible for certain people in the church. And you have elders if you uh, become a member of a local church. And I... I, I this came into really clear relief for me a couple years ago. I had a guy come to me and say, like, as a pastor, what kind of accountability do you have in your life? Like, he meant, like, do I have a board, you know, like, that oversees me or that kind of thing? And so we kind of walked through that, and we had the conversation. I thought that was an odd question coming from him. But anyway, I was reflecting on it later, and I thought, you know, that guy's not a member of the church. It was, it was so weird to me that he was asking whether I have accountability in my life, but he didn't have accountability in his life. And so if you were to come to me and say, you know, do you have a board? And I would say, dude, I don't need a board. I'm a godly person. Like, I don't need accountability. I don't need oversight in my life. I'm godly. Thank you very much. You know what you would rightly say? Yeah, yeah, buddy, maybe you are. But every person sins. Every person gets off the rails. Every person needs some counsel in their life to make better decisions. Like, every person's a sinner. That's why we don't just throw pastors out there with no accountability or oversight. Okay, so if that's true for the pastor, 
why wouldn't that be true for all Christians? It's like, hey, I'm a godly person. Like, I'm sure you are. <laughs> right? But the question becomes, like, what is holding you back from membership in the local church? What holds you back from committing to a group of people saying, these are the people I, I'm going to love. These are the people I'm going to forgive. These are the people where I'm going to plant my flag in the ground, and I'm going to love these weirdos no matter what happens. What holds you back from that? You know, at the church, we have something called Discover Renewal to help you explore what membership looks like. And actually, on the connection card that, you, that we talked about earlier today, you can sign up for information on Discover Renewal under my next steps today. It says, send me info about Discover Renewal. And we're going to have one that comes up in the next month or two. And so when you're a member, you have elders. But here's the other thing it talks about. When, when the Bible talks about reaching out for help in your illness, the first thing it talks about is serious illness and calling the elders. The second thing it says is confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So that's not talking about the elders anymore. That's just talking about regular Christians. So we saw prayer, prayer for yourself, prayer from the elders, and also prayer with other believers. Confess your sins to each other. And here's the question that that verse engenders. Do you have relationships with other followers of Jesus that are so close and so grace-filled that you could confess your sins to them? Like, whoa! That is like way deeper than like the, hi, how's it going, Bob, on Sunday morning. It's like, hey, coffee's really bad today. Like, I know, we gotta get some better coffee around here. By the way, I'm cheating on my wife. Like, you, you know, that just, that can't happen. Right? Like, there have to be these deeper, grace-filled relationships so that we can actually confess our sins to each other. Now, you see something else that's in here, which is that according to the Bible, now, again, you're, like, in the category of, of things that I, I wouldn't have put in a sermon about healing. Like, it seems pretty clear to me from this verse in James that, that sometimes, but not always, that sometimes illness is the result of sin. Did you see that in there? It said, um... Let's read it straight from the Bible. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I, I don't know what to do with that other than when I get sick, make sure I've confessed my sins to other people. You know? So do you have those kind of people in your life? And I would, you know, if you come to church on Sundays and maybe you uh, serve on a ministry team, but if you don't participate in community groups, you, you, you probably don't have that in your life. Because you think about this, I mean, we're, we're, uh, everybody look around for just a second, we're sitting in rows. Is that obvious? Like, everybody look around, we're sitting in rows, awkwardly look at the person over your right shoulder, right? Don't make eye contact. But you can't know people very well here when you're sitting in rows. Like, you know, there's the, the, the nice interactions and people are nice and that's great, but, but you can't ask questions. We've had some... Um, Mentally ill people ask questions on previous weeks at this church, but on a, on a, like in the middle of a sermon, but normally, like, people don't ask questions. There's not a group prayer time. You can't, you, you can never, like, confess your sins. That'd be odd if you just walked up here and just started, like. But in a group, in a community group, when you move these rows into circles, now you're not just hearing the word of God, you're facing the people of God. And you find these incredible friends in there. Groups are a big part of how I came to faith in Jesus. Groups are where you find people to love. People that will help you move. If somebody helps you move, dude, you got a brother in Jesus right there. When you move into these circles, people actually know what's going on in your life. 
They know the hardships and the troubles you're facing. They know how to pray for you. They know what you struggle with, so they know how to lift you up. So I want to encourage you to get in a group today. You got the catalog that was on your seat when you came in? It looks like this. It says catalog on the front, you know? And we've got eight groups this summer semester. And what, what most of you are probably thinking is, um, I will travel too much this summer to participate in community groups. Because you know who else is thinking that? This guy. Dude, you guys, I'm going on vacation. It's going to be epic. We are going to Springfield, Missouri. Woo. I know. Jelly. <laughs> but I want to encourage you, sign up for a group and be there as much as you can. Listen, we're all going to do that this summer, right? But it's not worth missing out on this opportunity to build those kinds of relationships with people who can help, help you figure out who God is and what he's like and what he wants to do with your life, right? It's better to go three times than zero times to begin to build those relationships. We also have a drop-in group on Boston Common that's the eighth group where you can just show up on a Saturday at noon. We have a group that's family-friendly this semester, so you, do, you don't have to have kids to sign up for that group, but if you do have kids, we're gonna meet at a park so that your kids can, with a fence, <laughs> so, that, so, so that the kids can play and the adults can talk. So sign up for a group today. Think about it, think about it, because groups start in three weeks. And then you'll have people in your life who can pray for you. Now, just as we close today, listen, when you're sick, I know it's going to be difficult and it's going to be trying. There's just no getting around it. My heart, as a pastor, my heart breaks for those of you who are in the middle of that right now, whether it's your illness or someone you love. And it may be a silent illness that other people don't know about, like infertility, or it could be a deep depression that you can't climb out of, or addiction. I know it's going to be trying. But I, I believe this, that just, just as when Jesus came and he started his ministry, he announced that the kingdom of heaven is at hand and that there's hope for the sick. I still believe that's true. Because after Jesus died on the cross, he rose from the dead. And because Jesus has risen from the dead, it means the kingdom of God is still at hand and there's still hope for the sick. And so I want you to face it with hope and with a spiritual family. That's my hope for you.